Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. He said, Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. The conqueror, victorious king and lord over every living thing. They tried to reject him, but he couldn't be ignored. They tried to take him out, but he couldn't be defeated. They said he was dead, but they didn't know the ending. Mighty Savior, he reigns forever. Jesus is alive. Easter Sunday. So you guys, if you uh, have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 28. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be in verses one through five. Cool part about this passage is it is the Easter passage, right? So today is Easter Sunday. We're we're celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen. He's not in the grave anymore, right? Like there's a, there's this sense of he died on the cross. That's Good Friday. And you have Holy Saturday, right? And it's this moment, this anticipation, this waiting, this, this darkness that's happening. And then on Sunday, he's not in the grave anymore. And, and we celebrate that. And it's because of Easter that really every Sunday is Easter Sunday, that really every day is Easter because we can always celebrate that Jesus is risen. He's not in the grave. He doesn't have to die over and over. And it was once and for all, our sins are forgiven, right? And so there's this beautiful part about this passage and that it celebrates that Jesus has risen. And the cool thing is that Christians all over the world are reading this passage today. Churches in Australia and Africa, in the underground church in China, the churches here in America, in Covington, right, in Conyers, and surrounding, they're reading this passage and they're celebrating the same thing, that Jesus is not in the grave. We all are in this together. It's this victory. It's this triumph. It's, this, it's the reason we had two big songs this morning, that, because it's a celebration. A celebration. So as we read this passage, I want us to, to read it in that with that in mind, in that light. So starting in verse Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, it says, After the Sabbath, at the dawn at, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How, how would it feel to be just the other Mary, right? You don't get to, you're just the other Mary. Okay, sorry, just a side note. <laughs> they went to look at the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like a lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. I know that you're looking for your Messiah. I know you're looking for the king that died. I know you're looking to, for, for the one that, that was the chosen one. He was crucified. Verse 6 says, but he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Come and see. He is not here. He is risen. But there's something really cool about this passage that, that jumps out at me. And I bet you'll never guess what verse I'm going to focus on. Because we're going to talk about the fact that he's not in the tomb, right? We're going to get there. But there's something in this passage that I think we can learn before it ever actually arrives. Today I'm going to be focusing on... Matthew 28, verse 2. It says that there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled the, tomb, the stone back, and sat on it. Right? 
Now that's, that's not the big part of this passage, right? We're always focused on the part that he is risen, and we're going to get there. But, but this angel, I think, is preaching us this beautiful message without ever saying a word, by rolling back the stone and sitting on it. And let's see, if I'm writing this story, I would not have the angel sitting here. No, I'd have him hovering, or I'd have him standing up with his arms crossed, looking, you know, mean and, and confident, right? And I'd have this, this image of this big, bad, soldier-looking angel, but it says he rolled the stone back, and he sat on it. Now, now there, there's something significant about this that I'm going to unpack, and, but the, the message of today, the title of today's message is, Watch Where You Sit. Watch where you sit. If, you, if you'll uh, bow your head and pray for, for pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're not in the tomb. We thank you that we are victorious, that death has been defeated. And I pray now that the Holy Spirit, you'll open up our minds, you'll open up our hearts, that we can receive the message that you have today, that it won't fall on deaf ears, and, and that Holy Spirit, that you will speak through me and that we can leave this place uh, more on fire for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do you choose where you sit? How do you choose where you sat when you came in here today, right? Is it, is it you wanted to sit with family? Is it you wanted to be as close to the exit as possible? I see nobody sat on the front row because the pastor tends to spit, right? Nobody wants to be in the splash zone. <laughs> Sometimes if you, if you go, maybe the venue determines where you want to be. Like if it's a concert, you want to be up front. For some reason, if it's a concert, people like to get their sweat thrown on them, right? But if it's church, nobody wants the pastor spit on them, right? Okay, I get it. I'm not bitter. I'm just angry, all right? No, but there's this, we think about it. We're conscious of where we sit. I think about going to the movie theater, right? I'm one of those people, if I'm at the movie theater and it's not real crowded, if it's crowded, okay, I get it. I understand. But if it's not real crowded and I'm sitting there and I've taken time and I've looked and I've studied and I said, this is going to be my seat and I sit down, do not sit down next to me. Leave a buffer seat, okay? I want to have some space between me and you. If I don't know you, I don't want you rubbing up arms against me. Those seats are too close. Leave a buffer seat. And just me, just me, look, if there's plenty of places to sit and I'm there before you and I'm comfortable, I've got my popcorn, I've got my cherry Coke slushie, and I've got my feet propped up on the seat in front of me, don't sit in that seat either. Let me have my foot prop, okay? I get it, I get it. I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm here for the experience, and I want to sit back and enjoy it. And do not pick there. Sit one over. Do not sit in the seat that my feet are propped upon, right? If we, if we go to a restaurant, I like to always be looking at the door, right? If Lauren can sit with her back to the door, I sit facing the door so that, you know, who knows? If some guy comes in, he's got a big old gun, I'm going to attack him or something. I don't know what else. I don't know what, like, I probably won't be able to do anything, but it gives me this peace to be able to see the door, okay? So I like to sit facing the door, but what about you? Like, where do you, where do you, how do you decide where you sit? Is it, does the venue matter? The, if you're in your living room, do you sit somewhere versus a concert? We all, where we sit matters, right? Like, we all care about it. And, and I hope what you understand today is that that I'm not just talking about where you sit your butt down, right? Like, I'm not just talking about where your body is placed, but, but my point number one today is where is your soul sitting, right? It says that the angel sat on the stone, and I think that it's important that, that when we're thinking about Easter and we're thinking about what the empty tomb means to us, that we examine our soul, right? And your soul is it's more than your physical body, right? It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotion. And it says that the angel rolled back the tomb and he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. 
See, there's there's two variables that I think come into play whenever we're sitting, right? There's no, no matter where you are, there's two things that kind of happen when you sit down. It's where you sit and why you sit, right? Where you sit and why you sit. And I think when you look at Scripture, it's really interesting. The Bible talks all the time about people sitting down, right? But whenever it talks, whenever it says that somebody sat down, it's not always significant. Sometimes it's significant, but but it's not always. But whenever it includes where, it includes the place that they sat, it's really interesting because <coughs> more times than not, there's significance to where they are sitting. So the why, not always important. But when we're reading scripture, when it talks about where somebody sits on the stone, right, there's this significance, there's a, some symbolism, there's, a, there's, there's reason to dig a little bit deeper. So if you're ever reading on your own, it, it says that, that Jesus sat down or that somebody sat down and it includes where they sat, I challenge you to, to break out Google, right? Break out a book, something, do something, and kind of do some research and the significance of where they sat. I'll give you, give you an example. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 through 4, it's talking about Elijah, and it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So you get this background, right? Elijah, he's afraid for his life, and he's running. He's on the road. It says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So you see he's, he's isolating himself, right? He's got a servant whose only job is to be with him. And he says, you stay here. So he's isolated himself. He's running for his life. He's in turmoil. He's got all these emotions. And then it says that he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. So you get this sense of, of Elijah. Elijah is at this place where he's anxious, depressed, suicidal, praying that he might die. And it says that he sat down under the broom bush. So so I kind of did some research on what the broom bush is, right? And it actually pops up all the time throughout Scripture. Sometimes it's called a juniper tree. Sometimes it's called a broom bush. But there's this there's some significance, some very interesting things about the broom bush. The first one is that it grows in the desert, right? It says that Elijah went to the wilderness. He isolated himself. He went by himself. And there's this, the, the broom bush has always grown in a desolate place, no water. It's 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 a desert, right? It's a, it's a dry place, and I think it's interesting because if you've ever been somewhere, if you've ever been in a place in your life where you felt like you were in a desolate place, you were in a dry place, right? Struggling with anxiety, struggling with the, the depression. What's the one thing that that is always a signal of this? Isolation, separating yourself from community. When, when somebody is struggling with suicidal thoughts, if you look at at what's going on so often one of the biggest signals is that they are getting away from their community they're separating themselves from people that they love if you've been there you know what i'm talking about where you just want to be by yourself you want to be by yourself you want to run to the dry place and then elijah's sitting here he's sitting under the tree he's running for his life he's made some actions that has caused his life to be in turmoil and he runs to the dry place and sits under the tree and there's another thing about the broom bush is that it has this really bitter root right got this bitter root that would often be used for eating. It was like one of those things that when you were desperate, when you were desperate, you would eat this only because you had to. It's kind of like licorice, right? It's terrible. Nobody likes licorice. If you like licorice, get out, right? But seriously, nobody likes it. It's bitter, but it's edible, right? And, and in, the, in, this, in this instance, the, the people, if you go into Job 30, it says that they are gaunt with poverty and hunger. They claw at the dry ground in desolate wastelands. Where does the broom bush grow? Desolate places. They claw at the dry ground. And it says they pluck wild greens from among the bushes. 
and they eat the roots of broom trees, right? So there's this sense of the broom tree is not just in a desert place, but there's bitter roots to it. And so you see that, take for example, unforgiveness. Somebody does something to you. Somebody does something to you, and you want to hold on to that anger. You want to hold on to that unforgiveness, and it begins to generate this bitter root inside of you. And that bitter root will slowly destroy you, but you're so hungry. You feel like you need that fix. You feel like you need to eat. You need to be a part of it. Listen, I've been there. If somebody makes you mad, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to go talk about it with someone else because when you go and you talk about it with someone else, it's like you're vindicated and, t- and telling on this person. You're vindicated and talking badly about this person, and it raises up this bitter root inside of you, right? And so you've got that, that Elijah, all we see is that he prayed that he might die, but it points to the broom bush, which is in a desert, which is bitter. And, and the interesting thing, the last thing about it is that they would use the twigs, they would use branches of this broom bush, and they would use it to tie up and bind things. So like if there was a big pile of grass that they wanted to, of wheat they wanted to tie together, they would use the twigs from this tree and they would bind it. They would use it to bind twigs together for a fire. They would use it. And so there's this sense of the, the broom bush where Elijah is sitting is not just part of the, the area. It's not just the, the picture. It's not just the scene, but it's an a image of his soul. Bitter root desolate place, bound by whatever it is that's got it, right? And it's important that when we think about our soul, where is our soul sitting? It's more than just our physical body. It's more than just the where we're at in a certain place and time. But is there, is there, are we in a desert place? Do we have a bitter root? Is there something that has us bound? Elijah had gone to a place that he should not have gone. He went to a source that he should not have gone to, and he was bound by it. So often when we get in a place, we're in our old grave. We go somewhere we shouldn't go. We, we go to a source we shouldn't go to, and it traps us. And we're in this desolate place, and we feel like we can't, we can't escape. We feel like we're trapped there. And there's something really interesting about these two passages, right? So you've got Elijah, who's at the broom bush, and you've got the angel that's at the tomb, right? And there's something really interesting if we look at it. It says that in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says that he came to the broom bush Look at this. It says he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. If we go back to Matthew 28, 2, it says that there was a violent earthquake, but the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and go to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. It's a subtle difference, but it's a difference. Do you see that? One sat under it, and one sat on it. One sat under it, and one sat on it. It's more than just where they are, but it's a image, it's a picture of where their soul is sitting. There's so much, it's so significant in the fact of, of their posture, right? Their emotional, their their soul posture for where they're at. If you think about this angel, right? If, I, if, I'm, if I'm picturing this story as I'm reading the Bible and I'm picturing this story like this angel, I'm going to steal this chair. The angel's he's sitting on the, he's sitting on the stone and you know, how is he sitting there? Like he's not sort of on this throne, oh, just sitting like, like he's posted up, right? Like I got him. He's leaning back. He's got his legs crossed. He's got those thug life sunglasses that come down over his head. The background turns black and white. Snoop Dogg starts playing. Sorry, that was a social media reference. Right. So there's this sense of there's this posture of confidence. There's this posture of, of I can be here because the grave is empty. Right. I can be here because there is an empty tomb. See, Jesus, he went to the cross, and I started saying this earlier, but you got to think about. Think about the, the two Marys and what they've been going through, right? 
They've been following this Messiah. Think about the disciples. They've been following this guy that's the chosen one, this Jesus guy. He's, he's checked all the boxes. He's fulfilled all the prophecies. He's healed people. He's talked about the kingdom of heaven. He, he's, he's performed miracles. He's checked all the, he's the chosen one. He's the one that they know they're supposed to follow. He said, come follow me. They left everything behind. They sacrificed all of their life, and they put all of their eggs in one basket, pun intended, right? Like, they put all of their eggs in this Jesus guy. He's the one we're going to follow. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the Lord of Lords. He's going to save us. He is dead. Think about that emotion. He's died on the cross. He's been put in the tomb. Think about Holy Saturday, this in-between time where it seems like it's so hopeless. There's no future. You know what it feels like. You've been at that place in your life where it seems like there's no hope. You don't know what the way forward is. You don't know if it's ever going to come. You don't know how you're going to get out of this grave. You don't know how there's going to be victory. And Jesus is there, and he's in the tomb, and this is his, the people that have been following have no hope. They, have to, they didn't understand his teaching about rising from the grave. They didn't understand that he was not going to stay there. They didn't understand the references to the three days. And they're sitting there, and there's this, this emptiness. And then they show up. They walk up to the tomb, and the, the stone has been moved, and Jesus is not in there. Think about that victory. Think about that emotion. Think about that moment when they say, you know what? He is the one. He is the Messiah. He is victorious. Jesus isn't in that grave. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And that gives this angel this chance to sit on the stone with confidence and triumph and victory because his soul has a posture of that because of what Jesus did. He's not in the grave and the angel knows that. And because of that, he has this, this confidence and this swagger, this drip. I can use drip in a message, right? He's got this 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 demeanor that says, you know what? I have got it going on because my Savior is the King. He has defeated the grave and I am victorious. And he's giving this message to, the, to these two Marys. He's saying, look, he's not in here. Look where he was supposed to be laying. He's not in here. You are victorious because Jesus has risen from the dead. And what's so awesome about this, what's so awesome about this, what the angel is sitting on, he's sitting on the very thing that Satan was going to use to hold Jesus in the tomb. The very thing that was supposed to hold Jesus down has now been moved, and the angel is sitting on it. What is the issue in your life? What is the thing that has come up? What is the thing that's blocking you from going forward? Is it, is it a relationship struggle? Is it a financial struggle? Is it the guilt and shame of past mistakes? Is it unforgiveness? Is it a bad report? What is the stone that is keeping you in the grave? And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you victory over that. Let's roll it back and sit on it. So you can either sit under your circumstances or you can sit on them, but you can't do both. And in this picture, this angel, he's sitting on the stone, the very thing that was meant to bring defeat <coughs> has now become a seed. The very thing that Satan has put in your life that he is using to defeat you, to bring you down, to keep you from moving forward, can become the thing that you sit on because you have victory over it in Jesus. It doesn't mean it's just going to go away, but it does mean that you have the power to be victorious, that the end of the story has already been written, and that the Holy Spirit is in you, giving you everything you need to walk through this struggle and come out on the other side as a, as a winner, as a champion. And the cool thing, this is just a side note, but the cool thing about this is that where you sit doesn't just affect you, but it affects those around you. It affects the people you work with. And even more than that, it affects 
it's generational. It affects the people that are going to come from your family. In 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30, this is so cool to me. It says that the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to those of Ahab all that I had in mind to do. Listen to this. It says, Because you have done right, because you did what I said you should have done, because you were righteous, because you obeyed, it says your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Your descendants to the fourth generations will sit on the throne of Israel because of your actions today. His great, great grandkids, or maybe there's another great, whatever it is, right? They are going to be victorious. They're going to be sitting on the throne because of his actions. Do you see that picture? That means that, that when you, if you can sit on your temper, maybe your kids won't sit under theirs. If you can sit on your anxiety, maybe your kids won't sit under it. If you can sit on your debt and start paying it off, your kids won't sit under it. That your actions today have a chain reaction to your, your, the future of your family. You impact generations. Listen, I've got great-grandfathers who are pastors that I've never even met. But there's sometimes I just sit in awe and I think about this generational God that we serve in the, that there's no doubt in my mind that the reason I'm in ministry today is because of actions that they made years and years ago. You see, when we choose to sit on the very thing that, is, that Satan is using to keep us down, we can choose victory and we begin to walk forward and it affects not just us but our kids and our kids' kids. If you will sit on it, others will never sit under it. But how do we do that? How do we sit on the stone? How do we sit on the thing that's got us pinned down? How do we sit on the thing that the devil is using to defeat us? Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. How do we do that? How do we do that? Verse 2 says, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Listen to this. So how do we do it? We look at Jesus as the example. What was Jesus' example? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Think about that word, to endure the cross. I think that so often when we look at our culture, we, we lose the fact of how terrible the cross was, right? The cross kind of becomes a symbol of goodness, especially in the South, right? You get it tattooed, you put the sticker on your car, you, you wear it as a necklace, and it's this sense of, I'm a good person, so I like the cross. But the cross was this terrible, torturous form of death, right? Where, and Jesus Jesus had knew that this was coming. There's this this image of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he's praying with such, <coughs> such angst that he's literally sweating blood. He's thinking about, he knows what's coming. He knows that he's going to be spit on. He knows that the people that he's been leading for all this time are going to turn their back on him. He knows that he's going to be mocked. He knows that he's going to be whipped 49 times because most people die when they get whipped on the 50th time. He knows he's going to have to carry that cross. He knows that he's not going to die from pain or starvation or thirst, but he's going to literally suffocate to death because he's hanging on the cross, and the only way he can breathe is to lift himself up. But his body is so broken, he gets to a point that he can't lift himself up anymore, and he literally is hanging on the cross and suffocates to death. It's this horrible, torturous form of death, and he knows it's coming. 
He knows it's coming, and he endures it because of the joy set before him. He can focus on the pain. He can focus on the darkness. He can focus on all the terrible things. And you know what? He had the power. He could have gotten down off that cross. But instead, he looked at the joy. He chose to focus on the victory. He chose to focus on the fact that he was going to defeat the grave, that he was going to defeat sin. And because of that, you, 2,000 years later, could have life. That I, 2,000 years later, can follow Jesus and surrender my life, and my sin can be forgiven. Listen, we are all sinful people. We all have chosen that point in our life. I don't have to convince you of this. You know that you have hurt the people that are closest to you. You know that you've made mistakes. You know there's regret in your life you wish you could take back, right? And Jesus says, look, that sin is leading you to death. But it is not final. It is not the last result because we know that he's not in the grave, that he defeated that sin and he can change our heart. And Jesus knew that that was the future. So he chose to endure the cross by focusing on the joy set before him. And look what happened when he does that. Starting back at verse 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and listen, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. It's okay to sit down, but where you choose to sit is significant. Jesus chose to fix his eyes on the joy set before him. And because of his example, it says, those do not grow weary, do not lose heart. I know it seems dark. I know it seems like the, the grave is not empty. I know there's times where it feels like you just feel so defeated, but do not lose heart. Do not grow weary. Do not focus on the dark, but choose to focus on the victory. Because Jesus has risen, and you have the power. You have the power to choose joy. On your drive home from work, when you're exhausted and worn out, choose your seat wisely. When someone wrongs you and you have to decide how you're going to react, choose your seat wisely. When you're discouraged and you have a tough decision to make, choose your seat wisely. Because we do have the power to choose. And that's point number two. Point number one was where does your soul sit? Point number two, we're going to talk about saving seats, right? Saving seats for a second. Now, how many people in here are like me and you hate to save a seat, right? You just me? Cool. Well, I hate saving seats, okay? Like, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I'm going to own it. If I'm on the bus and Forrest Gump comes walking down, I'm going to be, can't sit here, right? Seats taken. Can't sit here. That's me. I'm not Jenny, right? Like, listen, Forrest, I don't know you. You talk funny, you look funny, uh, I'm seats taken, right? Like that's just how, I, if, if you if you text me, say, hey, save me a seat, I'm running a little bit late, listen, you get left on red. I am not gonna, I'm not responding to that text message, right? Like you you don't know, no, I wasn't there, I didn't get it, right? I'm not saving you a seat. I'm a big guy, right? I'm a big guy, especially if I'm at like a ball game or something, and somebody needs to, to get in front of me, there's no like me wiggling out of the way. Like I have to stand up lean back over the seat, pull my toes in, like, and then they get there, and I have to be like, sorry, I'm saving the seat. Awkward situation. I'm not doing it. Hate saving seats, right? And there's this sense of, there's this sense of, remember that illustration, remember that, because there's this, this thing that psychologists call the seat of emotions, right? There's this seat of emotion that we all have. There's three, we all have three brains. Did you know that? Some of you are like, you should meet my spouse. We don't even have one, right? No, but we all have three brains, Right? There's the survival brain, and if you're here today, and you're breathing, and your heart's beating, and you're alive, 
Congratulations, your survival brain is working. The second is the logical brain. Good news, parents. This is not fully developed until your late 20s, so there's still hope for your kids, right? There's this logical brain that, that's decision-making and, and how you, what, what, whatever your decision is, right? But what I want to focus on right now is the emotional brain. This is the part of your brain that chooses the emotions. It chooses the emotional seat, the seat of emotions that psychologists talk about. And there's this sense of choosing where you're going to let the emotions sit. Right? Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, We demolish arguments of every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's this sense of, of us being able to take captive, having control over the seat of our emotion and choosing what sits there. I say all that to say this. Go back to the forest gut, right? Go back to the seats taken. When fear steps in, when fear steps in and says, I need to sit here, you look at fear and you say, seats taken. You can't sit here because courage is sitting here. When anger steps in, you look at anger and you say, can't sit here, seats taken. Peace is sitting here. When anxiety comes in, seats taken, you can't sit here because joy is in. We have to choose to save a seat, a save a seat for the right emotion and tell the wrong emotion that it can't sit here. Emotions are not bad. What I'm telling you today is that we have to learn that we can choose the right emotion. We can choose victory. We can choose to focus on the joy set before us, or we can choose to focus on the darkness. When self-pity comes to sit in and says, you're such... Yeah, I can't believe you did this again. How do you keep letting this happen? When self-pity comes, you have to say, can't sit here, right? Because we are victorious, because we know the grave is empty. We have to tell that sin. We have to tell the darkness that you can't sit here. We get to choose where we sit, where our mind sits, where our heart sits, where our emotion sits. The angel showed up and showed us where our rightful seat was. <coughs> and the third point is this, and this is where I'm going to end. Because I have a double standard in my life. I hate saving a seat. But I absolutely love it when somebody saves me a seat. Am I right? Like, like, here's the, like for real, like, let's just be real. That I love it when somebody saves me a seat. And so the third point today is that a seat has been saved for you. A seat has been saved for you. I uh, brought something with me. And I know that uh, my dad is going to smile when he sees this. When I was a, a young lad... I was taken to a Braves game where I caught this foul ball, right? It's really neat. You can't even see where the, the batter hit it. It used to say official Major League Baseball, right? But there's this story where I'm, we're sitting in these seats and, and we're looking at the field. The batter's over here, and I decide to look this way, just talk to my friends, right? And I'm not paying attention to the game. And then all of a sudden, everybody starts screaming and looking and pointing. And I turn around just in time to see this thing coming right for me. <laughs> and so I stand up. And the ball comes in, it hits the chair behind me and bounces back and forth between my back and the chair and goes down. Everybody's trying to grab it. Everybody's going down, trying to get the ball. I drop to the ground and grab it from under it, stand up on TV. It's this big, proud moment, right? I got this certificate because I caught a foul ball. But there's something that led up to this. There's something that led up to this, and it's the fact that we're going to this game, right? And up to this point, I, 
can't really remember, but for the most part, I've never been down close to the field, right? It's always been up in the affordable seats. And now that I buy my own tickets, I know the difference between a field-level seat and an affordable seat, right? <clears throat> so we're always, we're always set up high. But in this particular time, we walk in, we walk into the stadium, and instead of going to these escalators that take us up, we walk forward, and we actually go down some steps. And then we kind of, we walk through, you know, they have the little tunnels that walk, we walk through this little tunnel, we walk out, and I'm just, there's this, this huge field. And we're down at the field level, and I'm like, this is amazing. And we start to walk to our seats, and we, we start to walk down even more stairs, right? And I'm like, I can't believe how close we are. We get into our seats and we're sitting there and there's this moment of, this is the closest. I, I mean, I can yell and the players can hear me. I can smell their sweat, right? Like, this, we are so we are so close to the field. We're close to the best. These are the greatest seats I've ever sat in, right? And this thought didn't hit me at this young age, but as I got older and I looked back at this moment, there's this beautiful picture because I didn't deserve that seat. I didn't do anything to sit in, to deserve to be able to sit there. But my father purchase that seat for me and he says this seat belongs to you not because of anything that you did but because i died because i paid for that right and there's this beautiful image of jesus saying look a seat has been saved for you the seat sitting on the throne on my right side because i purchased that seat for you it's nothing that you did you are sinful and you have fallen short and you can't reach out you can't get god but god can reach down to you and he's reached out to you and he saved this seat for you and, and, and as much as I, I, I hate saving seats for other people, there's this moment of knowing that I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here, but this seat has been purchased by my heavenly father. And he says, I love you so much that I've given you life, that I defeated grave. And that seat has been saved for you. You understand that that seat on whatever that issue is that Satan is trying to hold you back, you get to sit on that because of what Jesus did for you. There's, there's, another, there's another time in my life with this cool picture of being in the wrong seat, right? So we go to a concert, and it's me and a group of buddies. We're at this concert. We get these seats, and these seats are pretty good. We're excited about it. So we're sitting in these seats, and then this couple comes up, and there's like five of us and two of them, but they talk to the two people on the end, and they're like, hey, you're in our seats. And we're like, uh, no, we're not. And they're like, uh, yeah, you are. Check your ticket, right? So we're like, okay, take their tickets. They were right. We were in the wrong seat, right? So we're like, okay, I don't know where these seats are. We go back up to the uh, attendant and we say, hey, can you show us where these seats are? They're like, yeah, you're really close. And so he turns around, there's a group of five guys following him, right? And he starts walking down towards where we were sitting. And he starts to approach that spot and then he walks past it. And we're like, thanks for the people that we were in their seat because we're, we're four seats down, we're four rows down. Like, we have even better seats. We're even closer. And so many of us in our life, God is saying, check your ticket because you're sitting in the wrong seat. He said, I've purchased a seat for you. I've saved this seat for you. I died on the cross so that you can have victory. Check your ticket. You're in the wrong seat. The seat right up front. The seat right in the middle. The seat on the throne. That's for you. Ephesians 2, 6-9 says, And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Revelation says that I give you the right to sit with me on the throne. Do you understand that your seat is on the throne? That the price has been paid. Blood has been shed. That you are a victor. You have victory in Jesus. You are a son. You are a daughter of the risen Savior. That's why we're here today. You can sit on top of whatever issue is there because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross. 
So that's the message. Check your ticket. Choose your seat wisely. Know that you have victory because the tomb is empty and we serve a risen Savior. If you'll bow your heads with me. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that we have victory. I pray that today we can walk in that victory, that we can know that we can, that in this dark, in the darkest of times, in the darkest of times, in the storms that come, on the Holy Saturday when we feel like there's no hope, that we have hope because you endured the cross. You endured the cross and you defeated the grave. Let us walk in victory. Let us walk with the swagger of champions, Lord. Let us know that we have won the battle, that you have won the battle. You defeated the grave. And in those moments when when doubt or fear or depression or anxiety, when they start to sit in, Lord, let us know that we can sit on them and not under them. That you give us the power and the authority that the very thing that the Satan is using to defeat us can become the throne that we sit on. I thank you for your victory. Thank you that you did not stay dead, that you rose from that grave. It's given us life. Let us walk let us live with this, that light shining from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.